Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, July 11th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have featured over 120 poets from 13 countries on five continents. And we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate either via PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Epiphany, with whom we will be discussing her poem, Kundalini, and my poem, Over the Bend. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of July 12th. On Monday, July 12th, from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Replay Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting the Loop Writing Workshop with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, July 13th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Time Stemfer Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Rachel Minnis and Friends presented with BOA editions featuring Kendra DeColo and Jeffrey Davies and a live audience Q&A with Peter Connors. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, White Whale Bookstore will be hosting their Hemingway's 2021 Summer Poetry Series Week 6 featuring Nikki Allen, John Dorsey, Julia Spiker Kastorf, Stephen Lynn, and Patricia Jabe Wesley. You can find out more information at whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's at whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse on Instagram. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his 
Poets Playground, we play dirty open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read open mic featuring A.E. Hines and Kelly Crescio Moeller. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's at pcsj.org. On Wednesday, July 14th, from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Again, that's at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Do is spelled D-E-W. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Arvada Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center will be hosting an evening with Copper Canyon poets Ellen Bass and Author Say. You can find out more information at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 7.15 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting Luya 33 Picnic. You can find out more information at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Louisette Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. On Thursday, July 15th, from 6.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Calling Old Poets series will be hosting their Be the Feature open mic featuring Patricia Carragon. You can find out more information at callingallpoets.net forward slash events. Again, that's at callingallpoets.net forward slash events. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Edgewater Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Radar Poetry and White Whale Bookstore will be hosting their Issue 30 launch, emceed by editors Rachel Marie Patterson and Daryl Lynn Schrager, featuring Janet Daniello, Romana Yorga, Brandon Constantine, Justin Rigamonti, Amy Lerman, Carolyn Supinga, Carolyn Oliver, Robert Kraut, Lisa Krish Blesso, Melanie Christine Robinson, David Donut, Ruth Williams, Amy Dryansky, Anne Velbis, and William Ferguson. You can find out more information at whitewillbookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's at whitewillbookstore.com forward slash events. 
from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nuijanan TV will be hosting their Nuijanan's Got Talent with CJ Gritz, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 via Instagram Live. You can find out more information at RSVP at Nuijanan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's at N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. From 7 to 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, True R Speaks will be hosting their Reverb Open Mic, hosted by Lieutenant Suni. You can find out more information at truerspeaks.org forward slash events. Again, that's at truerspeaks.org forward slash events. True is spelled T-R-U. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Willow Glen Library will be hosting their third Thursday's open mic hosted by poet Lisa Metley. You can find out more information at sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. Again, that's at sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting their monthly poetry open mic. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash district for poetry. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash district for poetry. Four is the number four. On Friday, July 16th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by messaging the host, Andrina Leanne, on Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. Again, that's at survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West Africa time, Graciano and Warham and Nopal Flower will be hosting their Corona Versus open mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warham. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their virtual open mic for youth between 8 and 18 years old with Teresa Knowles. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Echo Justice for All reading with C.A. Conrad, followed by discussion with Celeste Gainley. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Rumpus and White Whale Bookstore will be hosting Taylor Bias's Blood Warm Book Launch with Kendra Allen, Alan Shazaro, Jason B. Crawford, and Diamond Ford. 
You can find out more information at whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. From 7.20 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writer Center will be hosting their monthly open mic with Bill Bushel. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. From 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Writing in Color. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 9.40 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the Funk Magazine will be hosting their Anthology 2 launch party, a hybrid affair featuring Ariel Cottingham. You can find out more information at defunctmag.com. Again, that's at defunctmag.com. Defunct is spelled D-E-F-U-N-K-T. On Saturday, July 17th, from 8 to 9.30 p.m. India Standard Time, our past poet guest Mesh Mohikar will be hosting his Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. Again, that's at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. From 2 to 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Defunct Magazine will be hosting their Poetry con Ganas workshop with Rooster Martinez and Chibi Odunya. You can find out more information, again, at defunctmag.com. From 6 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, The Word is Right will be hosting its open mic featuring our past poet guests Umesh Mohikar and Finn Bell. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 329-332-945-443-672. Again, that's 329-332-945-443-672. On Sunday, July 18th, from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Writing for Happiness and Stress Relief for those between the ages of 12 and 14. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly poetry event. You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Epiphany. Hi, Epiphany. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. You brought with your, your poem, Kundalini. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. I have been writing poetry since I feel like I've been reading. Um, that was sort of like my mom's way of getting out of trouble, you know, I'd read a book and she'd say, she'd say go write about it, mm-hmm. now go write me a poem, now go illustrate it, you know, so then that really just got my juices flowing and I've really been creating ever since then, um, and, and just did all different kinds of um, forms and functions. I also have a, a business where I create intentional 
wire-wrapped crystal jewelry and also do crystal consultations and crystal oracle and divination readings for folk. Yeah, and I oftentimes integrate a lot of my spiritual connections and insights in, that I get from my work uh, and, and my crystal work and my ancestry work into the poetry as well. Yeah, yeah, it shows up uh, very clearly in your uh, poem that you brought uh, to us today. Um, I was wondering, uh, this is, I, I love the story you just told us about your family uh, situation. Do you remember when you started writing poetry, like what age you were? Actually, I remember being in elementary school and thinking poetry kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand it. Uh, I was in a poetry club because I had a teacher who thought I would be really good at it. And I just, I really didn't latch onto it until about end of middle school, high school. And I had a teacher who uh, would, would play us Bob Dylan every day. Mm-hmm. And I didn't love Bob Dylan's voice, to be honest, mm-hmm. but I loved the content and I loved what he spoke about and I loved how he, he wrote about it. And then, you know, got into the practice of writing music and uh, writing poetry for myself. And, and yeah, that really uh, helped me to express a lot of the emotions and the angst that I think we can feel during that time of our lives. Right, right. Teenage years, there's a lot of that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember what uh, you wrote about your, in your first poem? Mm. Honestly, my first few poems were were all really secret. Oh. I, as a child, I had a very active um, <laughs> sacral chakra. You know, I was very, I, I, I enjoyed and I was curious uh, about sex. So I would write about it. I would write about people I liked or I write about desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized at a young age, I had a very advanced vocabulary mm-hmm. and I was able to elaborate on topics that I didn't feel that my parents would be okay with. So I didn't really share my poetry for a long time, um, or I would only share it with my classmates or very few people. So I think the first few poems I would have wrote would have been like love poems or, um, yeah, just poems about guys that I liked in school or boys I went to kiss. <laughs> it was a lot of uh, early, <laughs> early romance. Right, right. I feel like a lot of younger or writers who started young, especially around teenage years, they do tend to focus on the first crushes. And, you know, we, we all write about that. And, you know, when we first get into that, hitting puberty that confusion of of the hormones flooding our bodies and this changing and being like i just got used to this body what is going on kind of stage Uh Um, uh and and thinking back on it it's kind of a really beautiful time period because everything is so fresh right so the poetry at that time is also um, embodying the freshness of curiosity and i think it can be it's um it's a very precious time for that kind of poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in a in an age where um I think youth, youth are pushed to be over sexualized and we, we forget the romance and the curiosity and the, the nature, the naturality of being in life, you know, and and I think that when I when I do look back on those poems, I do appreciate them for me being able to see that aspect before, you know, I started really watching too much TV and got into, you know, <laughs> the matrix of it all and started to um, lose my innocence, I think, in, in that sense. 
but I, I was just as we were talking I thought, I thought um <laughs> when I did start sharing my poetry it was in church oh, wow. so if you can imagine how how odd it would be my whole family knows oh she's a writer you know she's a writer share your poetry tell the church you have something and so I have to write a whole new church <laughs> church appropriate poem <laughs> bible themed church appropriate poem with like scripture references even though in my mind I'm like oh my gosh if you could see what I've actually been writing all day y'all would not have me up <laughs> on the pulpit <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's one of the poems. Um, I don't know how, how early you wrote that poem, but one of the poems you sent me in your packet references this idea of it, it almost felt like uh, sort of you confessing to uh, what you feel about the relationship between you and church. It's a really interesting okay. poem. So, um okay. Well, I guess now is a good time for you to read uh, your poem Kundalini for us and then we can talk about it. Absolutely. Kundalini. Mama dreamed of snakes and spoke them into existence. A brilliant green one lay coiled around its gleaming other, boasting a proud and silvery white. The creatures writhed like water in the center of my bedroom. The usual fear had escaped her, she explained, when she fell into the gaze of the beasts. Her lips parted, though, when she thought to speak. The eyes of her body in real time snapped open. She leapt from her bed and ran, sleep-ridden to find me writhing, undulating till celebration, still in my uniform from school. Like water, geyser, stream, two fingers gleaming wet, peering into pink. Thank you. Absolutely. I think I read this poem with, uh, and come to think of it, I can't, I can't remember exactly what I thought, but given what you just told us, I think I have a better idea of what this poem is about. But instead of me trying to just interpret, since I have the author here, I'm just going to ask you, what is the poem about? Absolutely. I thought it was really interesting that you picked this one because um, this poem is part of a series that I wrote um, for my college thesis, and it was a mythic autobiographical sort of anthology. Mm -hmm. And this one was in the first section of the anthology, all about my becoming. Mm -hmm. And the, the poems are in succession, three sections. The beginning is like the becoming, you, you know, you're coming into age, the middle, you're understanding self. And the end is apotheosis, which is the process of a, of a, de of a being becoming a deity. So like mm -hmm. this sort of transitionary phase. So here is, um, this is actually a, a memory slash myth poem. Mm -hmm. My, um, <laughs> I, and this sort of speaks to the, that natural curiosity of the young person in this angst, right? So mm -hmm. the poem literally is about a, a, a dream that my mom had. And she told me that she has really interesting prophetic dreams. She said mm -hmm. that there was two snakes in the house. She hates snakes. She's definitely afraid of snakes. So there's this yeah. awesome energy around it. Mm -hmm. Two snakes in the house. One was laying in my room. And the snake in my room was green. The second snake was in the garage. And that snake was white and silver and mm -hmm. like magical looking. Mm -hmm. And she said that the snake that was in the room was free, uncaged, but just in the center of the room. The snake that was in the garage was caged, but this one was the magical snake. 
then that just had me thinking all about snakes and, and you know, growing up in church, you know, there's mm-hmm. snake is seen as demonic, but yeah. I've always been really drawn to the snake. Mm-hmm. And so then <laughs> this also connects to, you know, this natural youthful curiosity, like ex- the exploration of the self. And mm-hmm. this was something that I would do. Mm-hmm. And I got caught often, you know, exploring myself or, or, or having that private time. So I interpreted myself as the snake, mm-hmm. right? This The snake is seen as the, the, the subversive creature, this mm-hmm. creature that is seen as um, sexualized, as demonic. Uh, it is the, the, the thing that deterred Eve from being in the Garden of Eden, right? This mm-hmm. is my biblical connection to it. But then is in my room. So am I that? Am I as this youthful being who grew up in the church, whose name literally means holy place, doing something that my pastor would have thought, you know, unholy or unclean, but Mm -hmm. yet I'm enjoying myself, you know, yet I'm understanding more about my body. So it's sort of like exploring and subverting the subversive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and, And through my mother's perspective, through her fear, you know, she's running to to try to save me from these creatures that she dreamt about. And I am the creature, the feared creature mm-hmm. <laughs> that she's dreaming about. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What does she think the snakes meant? I'm not sure. To be honest, I think my mom is, is very uh, tapped in, but she doesn't oftentimes acknowledge it just because of, I think, that um, religious sort of restriction. Mm-hmm. So I think she probably felt that from me. That, that sense of um, wanting to explore, wanting to understand the self, wanting to tap into the taboo, because perhaps maybe that was something that she also knew from her childhood or from her own experience. So I, I kind of saw it as um, a, a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy or like, you know, or a projection. You know, if the thing that you perhaps see in yourself, mm-hmm. you may see or, or put onto the other. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it could be a little bit of that but that's just my own personal interpretation. Yeah. But I think she oftentimes will have dreams about things that I'm doing or, or, or if I'm in trouble or if I'm sick, you know, she'll feel it or she'll have a dream about it and she'll message me or call me and be like, you know, oh my gosh, she'll be freaking out. Like, yeah. I saw this and that in my dream and, and then I read that this means that. So <laughs> I think it could be a little bit of that connection too, her intuition and like linking in with like what's happening with me. Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting. In terms of the poem, in terms of the, we talk about what the green snake means, and that's sort of like a personification of your self, uh, especially your sexual exploration of the self. I was wondering, in terms of the other snake, the silver and white, the one that's caged, what your mom termed the more magical one, what that means to you and how you see it show up in this poem as well. Mm-hmm. And this sort of connects to the aspect of spirit that I feel like is intertwined in a lot of my writing. Mm-hmm. I feel green and emerald, which I think we can get to with your, with your poem too, but mm-hmm. emerald is a, is a color that has been highly, highly, highly resonating with me. First and foremost, because of you know, we hear of the lore of Thoth and the Emerald Tablets, right? And so that's all about this ancient knowledge of everything. Mm-hmm. And what is a part of ancient knowledge? Tantra, sex, right? And mm-hmm. creation, the masculine and the feminine creates all that there is. Everything in the universe is mm-hmm. along is 
lies within the polarities of masculine and feminine, even though we are trying to, you know, understand and dismantle the, um, you know, masculine and feminine as far as how we've seen it in our patriarchal society. I think in the spirit realm, it shows up everywhere. It's yin and yang. Mm-hmm. So I think um, when it comes to the green snake, it's like there's the, the, the knowledge, information, there's the yang energy, there's movement, there is um, the earth and being connected to the, the carnal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and also the occult, right? And um, the taboo. Mm-hmm. And then the white snake, I feel like it's the caged mind, um, the, the crown chakra, the, the third eye chakra is represented in white or clear, you know, clear quartz being shimmering, right? I'm thinking crystals, thinking opal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, in living at home, I felt a lot of times that I can't express my full intellect, my full self, because I have to respect certain boundaries within the household, within our religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, but in its cage, and it's in the, it's in the garage, right? So it, it's in the dark, it's shrouded, it's locked up. So that's also kind of ties into our sexual understanding too. Like, I feel like when we have, when we experience shame, um, when we have been told that parts of ourselves are bad or evil or dirty, when we have been ostracized because of your exploration, you know, people Mm -hmm. through time have been ostracized because they liked someone out of their race or because they had sex before when they were married, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever these things, or or, or even liking someone of the same gender. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a queer person, so a lot of my poetry reflects my my queer nature as well. And so Mm -hmm. being a queer person in a very Christian household was not a conversation that happened, you know, Mm -hmm. and... And so that kind of white glimmering snake are all these other glimmering aspects of myself that are also part of this subversive nature, being hidden, being locked away. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that in, in terms of relationship between these two snakes, that the green one is more the body, the earth, um, as you said, the physical manifestation, and the white one is more the mental understanding? The mm-hmm. so, Okay. Okay. Um, the mental processes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I always wonder when poems involve other people, if the poet has shown the poem to the person that they written about. So even though this particular poem is not wholly about your mother, so I, I was wondering if you ever showed it to her. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I did. And it's, it's really funny because this, poem or this series that the poem is a part of um, I got really high accolades for in college mm. <laughs> like like huge like 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 things I didn't even expect would happen like I have my name is on a plaque as like the first African-American woman writer to get a certain type of accolade at this private white institution right at California oh, wow. College so it, it yeah people flew out and, and gave me money it was a whole thing for these group poems and most of which are hidden poems <laughs> right so I was like oh my gosh and I did a reading with yeah my mom wasn't even there for the reading oh, wow. um, because she just was flying in the second day but you know mm. so yeah I don't think she's heard all of them and uh, I'm not sure if she's heard this one okay I'm not sure if she has Right. Yeah, but it, it's also fairly sexual, right. and I, I tend to keep the I, I tend to try to be respectful when what I share with her. I obviously mention my fingers being in, in a wet yoni, right? And like so it's like yeah. I don't know, some certain certain things that I haven't opened up to her, I guess, or shared with her yet. But we our relationship has changed since this poem was written. 
Mm -hmm. I will say this poem was written in a time when I was trying to find more freedom within mm -hmm. my sexual self and just within my, my mental self. And this, and I think you spoke on if this was a conversation mm -hmm. to the reader as well, or a conversation to the person who was about. Mm -hmm. um, these poems felt like, you know, you're sitting in a bathroom, right, at a school, and you see these things written on the back of a wall. Mm -hmm. And usually the things you see written are confessional or, mm -hmm. or they're the things that are on your mind, right? You need to find a space to release. And the only place you can, you can say it is, is in this anonymous way on this dirty bathroom door, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, what, that's the kind of energy these poems sort of have. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like for someone else to be able to peer in mm -hmm. and see where they also have the same experience. And mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, I'm here with you. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a full conversation, but it can be like, mm, yeah, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm there too, and I, I've held that, and I, I know what that feels like, and I and I can see you from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's really interesting when you have, and I do as well, there are poems that I've, um, partly due to language barriers as well. I've never shown my mom. Though we've had similar conversations in uh, in other ways. So do you do you feel like through poetry you are processing in some ways things that you cannot speak to other people about? I think that's what it started off as. Mm. And I think um, it's interesting. You've kind of caught me at an interesting place with my poetry. It's in a transition. Mm. At first, I felt... I. A lot of my work was coming from a very confessional, very secretive space mm -hmm. um, because it was oftentimes very erotic, um, mm -hmm. very much about the occult life, uh, very much about channeled information mm -hmm. that I felt at the time is not ready. It's not ready to be spoken about. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't ready. I think I just needed to work on my confidence and my throat chakra. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I think just the space I was in I don't know, my spirit felt really, really certain that this work needs to be expressed at a, at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And I feel where I am now, how I do express is more so from a state of this is what I am, who I am. Mm -hmm. um, this is how my body operates through the matrix of this time. This is what I'm receiving. This is what I need to give to you. Mm -hmm. While before it was kind of like, this is what I am. Why? And how can I explore that? And through my exploration, could I help other people then to locate and find self as well? It was more so from a place of of sort of like happens to you. Oh, snap, you know, and the reaction, you mm -hmm. know, and then the confession of feelings. And now I'm, I'm coming into a place of understanding, understanding, and then wanting to offer something to people that they can have a conversation with, with their own soul self, with their higher self. Mm. Okay. So, so do you feel like, I mean, this particular poem is more about, uh, obviously, you exploring yourself and you trying to understand that experience of becoming, at least it seems to me, and then now your poems are more didactic in nature? In a sense, they have been very didactic. Yes, because I feel like when we come from a place of, I, I, I'm, I'm seeking more groundedness in the poems. So mm -hmm. I think that also speaking to like spiritual understanding while poetry is happening, I believe that through writing, writing is a meditation, right? Mm -hmm. And when we write and when we free write, we are releasing 
what we need to release so that the messages can come through. Mm. So the writing that has happened before now is the releasing, releasing of tensions, uh, understanding generational traumas through the writing, mm -hmm. through what comes up naturally as I write. Sometimes I'll write and I won't even be thinking of sex, right? But it'll be turned into an erotic poem, okay? Mm -hmm. So why does my mind take it there? What is what is that telling me about the erotic? What is that telling me about human nature, right? And so mm -hmm. now it's coming from a more expanded, outwardly expanded fractal view mm -hmm. of time and place instead of being um, reactive to time and place. Right, right. I'm, I'm not sure that these two are separated. I think the lines are very blurred between the two, right? Because I think one of the things that helps uh, oneself to understand something is to teach it to someone else. Because you have to have, a, you feel like, or at least a good teacher would try to prepare to be presenting material in a way that other people can understand it. So where in the process do you think you are at? I'm definitely right now, now in um, experience. I'm in a process of allowing myself to experience and to feel and to learn. Mm. The poems that I sent you came from a space and time when I was I was in college, right? So I'm, I'm writing mm. my thesis. Mm. My thesis is myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. My whole four years of college was exploratory writing of my culture and my generation, um, well, my, my family, you know, I did a lot of work into my Caribbean and my Southern side mm. um, and did a lot of in interviewing with my mother and my grandmother. And, mm. and you know, and so it, it was coming from that space um, mm. of just getting to know me more from where I've already known myself. Mm -hmm. And so now that that work has, I feel like that work has been laid out. It, it gives more space to be an open channel, if that makes sense. Um, right. Everything that I do, I, I, I see myself as even my my name means sacred space, right? You know? mm. It means it means a place to come and, and be at rest. Mm. So I, I feel like my work for myself is to be able to be grounded enough to be at rest within my body, so that when messages are coming to me, I can not be mitigated by what my experience is and allow myself to be the teacher. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, because I think you could be getting mixed messages if uh, you uh -huh. are, if you're not in a grounded space, and uh -huh. yeah. Given the fact that you, you got in a war for, people came in, you know, like, your family traveled to the place, the ceremony, and that it was a very big deal because the recognition you got. I was wondering what part of, does poetry play in your life? Is poetry another sort of professional avenue for you in conjunction with your business? That's something I've been really working to integrate, um, mm -hmm. actually. And, and I think it's really kismet that we were having this conversation um, mm -hmm. because I feel like there was definitely a point in time after college where I, I think I just needed to experience. And I was pushing myself to, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not meeting my own personal deadlines of, getting another book out, right? Because my, my poetry that this, this, the senior thesis is now sort of under the college's library or whatever, you know? So I, it's not in the place where I would want it to be necessarily. Mm. So I really have been kind of 
pushing myself to, all right, let me create more, let me create more so I can be, so I can have more people see it, you know, and that's something that is in the works. I have a blog right now that has a lot of my work on it that's mm -hmm. accessible, mm -hmm. but I'm working on scenes and um, visuals because I really want to express the spiritual aspect through light pose and through music, but then so integrate the poetry as well in a way that can be palatable and, um, and evocative so that's something that that is is in my present right now um, but I'm, I've been using the poetry along to, so, to sort of help me with my divination mm. I learned that tarot is so poetic and that's why I, I sort of gravitated towards it mm -hmm. um, and when I do tarot readings I have the cards laid out before me and I'll read them like a poem. I'll literally write out the, the insight or write out what the meaning of the poem or of the card. Mm -hmm. And this actually is inspired by a poet named Evie Shockley. And she has a book where she creates tarot cards out of out of images of her neighborhood, of black children playing, of, of just, you know, fire hydrants, you know, bursting with water, mm -hmm. just these different gorgeous images. And mm -hmm. then she writes poems and creates her own sort of interpretation for it. And that really um, inspired me to do that with my work, too. So I've been using the, my, I guess, my poetic voice or my poetic license to give insight when I do um, my tarot readings. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how it's been translating and how I've been practicing and keeping the, the voice as I formulate how I would like my message to, to be received right now. Mm. Okay, okay. That's great that, you know, you are continuing with your poetic work and integrating that to your other work uh, with divination and crystal work. And it sounds like you have always been in touch or have a sensitivity to it. And in fact, that it is something that's probably hereditary. Um, but when did you decide to move into this sort of work? The spiritual work or as far as the writing work? The spiritual work. That's something that I feel like has been like, like you said, very hereditary. Mm. Although my family has been deeply in, in Christianity, I, I've always seen my grandmother as a kitchen witch, you mm. know, and she, my family on my mother's side is from um, the South. So mm. there's a lot of hoodoo magic in the South. There's so much energy there. Um, and mm. I feel just when my grandmother was alive, she, you know, she, her superstitions or the, or the recipes that she would create when I'm looking into Ifa or I'm looking into, um, Voodoo or Voodoo tradition, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the same recipes. I'm mm -hmm. seeing the same herbs. I'm seeing a lot of the same mantra prayers that she would pray, you know, at 5 a.m. in the morning. She's getting up at, at the witching hour, you know, to, to send out positive energy to her friends and family. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? How is that not magic? How is that not spirit working through her and, and not and having nothing to do with the denomination? It's just the light work that she's doing. So I've just been inspired from um, my grandmother's life and when she passed I do feel like there was a transference of energy and responsibility mm. um, I literally had a dream when she passed and I knew I knew like she she passed from from cancer when I was nine years old oh, wow. and it happened over uh, a series of 40 days so mm. like it, it attacked her in 40 days oh, wow. so very biblical right so already very like 
just interesting energy around her her final hours. But mm-hmm. in the, the final hours of her of her passing, she visited me in a dream. It was completely white space, just she and I there. Mm-hmm. And she, I could tell that she was giving me something. And as she was giving it to me, her body disintegrated and completely disappeared. Mm-hmm. I wake up like maybe moments after, and my family's in the living room. They tell me, you know, she's passed on. Mm-hmm. And I already knew, and I, and I felt like this was my time to step into her her, her power, her responsibility, at least her ability to love unconditionally, her, mm-hmm. her ability to be of service mm-hmm. with her talents, whatever that she could. And, and, and for her, that was a giant pot of collard greens, you know, that was... Mm-hmm given peppermints and, and, and toothpaste to homeless people, you know, that was mm. her showing up for people. Mm. And it had nothing to do with what she believed in, but like how she believed in in love, you know. And mm-hmm. so that inspires everything I do, to yeah. be honest. I want to be that person who can you can be around and feel okay and be safe with, feel like you can say what you need to say, feel like when you listen to this person that, that you can receive something from them and, and also that that was a reciprocal relationship because my grandmother was never like a, a meant to teach anyone anything you know mm. but you always left with something and she, and she always would be very open to receive whatever it was that you had whether it was a venting you know you want to just say something or if it was something that she did you know she was very receptive of, of being able to change even in her old age so mm. that's something that I like try to carry in my work or what I do yeah yeah well I mean, nine years old is very young. Do you ever feel burdened? <laughs> Absolutely. Less now than I did before. Mm. I'm an Aquarius, so I feel like mm. <laughs> most Aquarius may feel burdened with the with knowing, <laughs> just knowing a lot and being very aware um, mm. of everything. Just at a, just as yeah. <laughs> being aware of the light and the dark of the world and kind of not always having a space to be able to share that. Mm. Um, I felt I felt burdened to have grown up in a very Christian society and then find so much receptivity and love and being someone who can see see light in all, all versions of the truth. Mm. Like that. Mm. You know, there I, I don't see I don't see any person's religion as as any story that is not right mm-hmm. and I feel like that was something that my community didn't understand mm-hmm. and yeah <laughs> and it's kind of hard to still be like yeah I'm I'm here with y'all I love y'all I'm not trying to sway the children you know out of what we're doing but I also know what I know mm-hmm. it to be true and I you know what I'm saying? So, so I think there, there, um, I have distanced myself a little bit from the community that I grew up from. I live in the Bay Area now. Mm. I don't go to church, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I hold church, you know. So I think it's all about translating. And not everyone in my family is ready to understand that translation. And uh, I hold graciousness in my heart for that. But now that I think I've underst- I understand that a little bit more, it's easier for me to not feel burdened. And I feel... I feel actually really lucky. I feel really fortunate for mm. my mind and to be able to think this way. Mm. Yeah, it's not easy because I think when you're coming from a place of understanding and inclusivity where you think, you know, every religion is just a different entry point, but other people don't think of it as that. They think of it as the only entry point. <laughs> that 
uh-huh. it uh, it's a little bit difficult of a conversation to hold. Uh-huh. And when you live, like when you grow up, especially like Baptist Christ- mm-hmm. Christians are very much like this is the only way, you know, and yeah. can be kind of, you know, I grew up with people telling me openly that certain religions of people are bad. And I'm thinking, didn't God just say everybody was his children, right? Didn't we just have a Bible study that said we should love everybody? But how are we going to say that my friend who wears this, you know, or wears a hijab at school should not have the same love and affection and attention from our God, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. You know, like, mm-hmm. that, that was that was me growing up. I'm always trying to, like, let people know that I feel like there's something about this that doesn't... I don't know. This this execution, this execution feels a little uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> I don't know where to get it. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know. People interpret signals from the universe in their own way, and it's not always. There's some noise and interference. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all it is, and that I think that's what's made it easier. You know, to not feel burdened is that you can love through the interference and the noise. And just understand, you know, and that's why poetry is really cool because you can read a poem and it could be about whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I could I can make a poem about love, light, and universe, and 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 how the cosmic cosmic stars are all a part of our skin, right? And someone could read that and receive something completely different, but that's what they needed to receive, you know. And yeah. so I think that's what I try to do, you know, wherever wherever you're coming from, you can still receive something positive at the end of the day. And I think that's what religion is really supposed to have been, you know, the mm. access point to a higher realm. That's what art is, our access point to transcendence. Mm-hmm. So as long as that work is being done, then no harm. Yeah, yeah. And and not, hopefully done not to the detriment of others, which I find it especially ironic when is, you know, religions of the book, that are sort of like targeting each other. And I'm like, but you worship the same God. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. That's why I thought it was interesting when you uh, mentioned the the other poem in the pack that I, I, I sent you about the, I think it was called Tony in church. Yeah, yeah. My, my name in Japanese means demon. <laughs> mm. But in Irani or Persian culture, it means the sacred space. It is a, it's a, a whole area in Iran. Mm. And, um, in ancient Persia, that is holy ground space, right? Mm-hmm. And, in, and in West African culture, it also means the, the goddess mother that the dead souls return to, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, all right, at the same time, I'm both the dark and the light mm-hmm. in this space where people, in that poem particularly, people were trying to assert that I was filled with darkness, mm-hmm. right? And, I'm, and what I was saying was, we aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? <laughs> are we all both the greatness and the darkness and don't we have to acknowledge that to just be yeah. and why are we going to demonize one person for having realized that before everyone else you know like or or having taken that step to to just be okay with it and not run away from that darkness or not try to like smash it over the head yeah i think it's it. difficult though i think for anybody it's very difficult to admit to the darkness within ourselves and how we're integrated the two the sort of the in and yang going back to that the two mixed together not even like in the yang where it's where it's so separated it's not clearly delineated at all and that i mean negative uh, traits could 
fuel positive effects. Um, it's just a matter of how you use certain things. So very true. That's where the shadow work comes in. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's all a process. Yeah, very but true. until people can admit to it, can recognize it themselves. I mean, there is always going to be a part of them that's hidden, right? So. Because I wasn't sure what the poem was about when I read it, and the green snake imagery was so prevalent in my mind, it reminded me of this poem called Over the Bin, which I'm going to read now. We can talk about it. And I think as soon as I start reading it, it will become very clear why I chose this poem. Oh, yes. (laughs) So, Over the Bin. In the land of the emerald snake... We watched the water serpentine along the bottom of sandstone walls as lenses pointed more than eyes to proffer proof of marvels beyond the imagination and the sun interfered with the task at hand after a few momentary imitations of statuettes, pilgrims prance across flaky jutting rocky plates recalling similar formations guarding central coast shores, pleading the rims of the sheer drop, landing on velvety moss beaches below that reach back from the river's edge to meet the vertical striations above, like two lovers stretching to embrace. Mm-hmm. Can I say I love all the crystalline imagery? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, my geology soul is like yes (laughs) so much earth energy and so much earth imagery in this poem i love it so much yeah yeah it is very much uh earth is a description of a landscape so it is very rooted in the actual body of this uh little marble that we live on i noticed that emerald and also the serpentine energy that that you were referencing to Mm mm-hmm in semblance to my poetry as well. Right, right. So I would like to know, where, where did this poem take place? Or what was, in, what was the space that was inspired by this poem, if it was physical? I wrote this when friends and I went to the Horseshoe Bend. It's near the Grand Canyon. Oh my, my gosh, this place is crazy. Right? <gasps> yeah, yeah. Wow. It was amazing. And there, there is a river that runs through it. I mean, you, you know how river basically carves all of our earthen space, just like how water sort of channels through us, right? And and it's just amazing how the water from the top of Horseshoe Bend, when you look down, it looks like there's an emerald snake that's just slowly meandering through this canyon space that's much smaller than the Grand Canyon. Contrast that beautiful emerald coloring, the dark green, with the sort of like the brighter green of the banks of the river and then also the red cliffs of the that area. And, and then the if you go further up, you see the blue sky with some white clouds, puffy clouds, and whatever shape the clouds wants to pick. It, it's just beautiful. It's just breathtakingly beautiful beautiful. I don't feel like I did the picture justice, but then I'm also talking about more how people interact with that beauty, with that natural beauty. 
that's so difficult to capture. Yeah, I'm just, I'm like, as I looking at the photographs and hearing your description of it, like the poem is, I don't know, it just makes the poem so much more rich because I feel like even just the curvature that the writing has taken, I'm not sure if, if that was intentional. Yes. <laughs> but even the curvature, <laughs> yes, the curvature of the poem is resembling that horseshoe. I love that you did that. That's really gorgeous. This was my first visual poem or concrete poem. And it was difficult <laughs> to get the shape. I mean, now I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, you could do better with that shape. But, you know... <laughs> but I still, I still got the, I still got what you were, what you were doing. Mm, thank you. And I think it did, it did help because walls and below are like those pilgrims, <laughs> right? The lovers stretching to embrace. I can see the, the kind of like the reaching with the, the way that you've written. It's really gorgeous. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So another question I have. Would you say that this poem is purely for, like some poems are, are there to give place in history, and mm-hmm. some poems, there may be something to be said about the reader within it. Do you feel that this poem is a poem that where you are, I guess, snapshotting something that you wanted to hold, I guess, forever? Or would you say that this poem is speaking to an inner sensibility that you felt perhaps presently or at the time that you wrote it? I feel like it does both. And I feel like the aspect of revealing oneself, I think that happens automatically because we as writers are writing a piece. And no matter what, it reflects back on us. And maybe what we thought at the time, maybe what we were feeling at the time. So my intention was to capture this moment it's a recall. I didn't write it at the moment that I was there. I did write it soon after. So it's a recall poem. And I am trying to capture through my words what I observed while I was there. At the same time, the unintentional effect is giving people a little bit of a view into how I view these things. Because it's always... Um, you mentioned before, I don't know if you mind I say this, but, you know, you did documentary work. So within documentaries, even though the intention is to be objective and more journalistic, right, to not be there, at least not show up in front of the lens, but how and what you decide to show, what ends up remaining in the film itself, also shows the documentary maker's eye and sensibilities. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, yeah. we're in it. I hear that. Something that I'm feeling like so strongly from your poem, sometimes works point us to things about our world that we don't even know, right? So I feel like it's, this poem feels channeled to me. Mm. <laughs> like in the land of the emerald snake, right? And then I look, we're near the Grand Canyon. Many people don't know, but there are pyramids in the Grand Canyon. And the Grand Canyon is very, very mystical. And the space, the space just feels like it has a lot of secrets, right? And then back to emerald, right? Emerald of the information of the land. Emerald is one of the oldest stones. 
it's in the breastplate of righteousness, right? So it's got all this lore of its strength. So then in the land of the emerald snake, right? The land where where truth is 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 whipping and, and moving through the waters of this ancient land, right? I don't know. I'm just getting I'm getting so like as I when I saw the the, the, the photograph and hearing you read it, I just got so many chills and just thinking of what could be gathered from that, like depending on who's listening to this, you know, and, and what their connections to that land or to these crystals or even to the history of Arizona, the history of the, the U.S., our ancient history. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so full, it's rich. And I love that that poetry can like, kind of take you to those different places. Because I feel like, I don't know if you were even thinking about any of that, but I am now like wanting to look into um, what sandstone means because sandstone is a very prominent stone as well and mm-hmm. in sandstone there's a lot of crystals that are attached to sandstone so when you have a crystal that's attached to sandstone you have um, a grounding quality and also um, a very rich sort of like fiery energy as well so then I'm just thinking about the energies of, of the words and, and even how it feels to hear the poem it mm-hmm. feels very flowing just like the, the snake or just like the, the river it mm-hmm. feels like I can feel the bend of the water was that also intentional to have that um, be a, a sort of like a musical quality or the, the visual aspect of what you saw to sort of be portrayed in how you wrote it uh, i mean i'm definitely anthropomizing the landscape you know with the the reaching lovers because of the the striations that's in the stones from wind uh, sweeping across it through millennia I feel like for humans, when we observe something, we always want to somehow relate it back to us. So we have this tendency of anthropomizing animals, landscapes, whatever, right? And poetry obviously takes a lot of artistic license with that because we're trying to say things not exactly as they are, but uh, say it in a way that's a more digested version of what we observe so mm-hmm. i think that's more of what i was doing with this um i don't know about the more spirituality aspect of it i mean i i, I do know about how indigenous folks look at certain areas of land as sacred and um, i don't particularly know what the indigenous nations relationship is with horseshoe bend what I can tell you is that the experience of looking at it from the top of Horseshoe Bend and but being in the water, uh, which we were, we, we ended up doing some kayaking uh, or tried, but the wind kind of stopped us. It was daunting. And that is, in a way, nature in terms of how we as human beings interact with it. We don't integrate it well into our lives, and partly because it is so both awesome and awful to us because we're a very vulnerable species uh, in many ways. It was a very interesting experience where, obviously, from this poem, you only see the view of when I was on top of the horseshoe bend, and there's no reflection of the experience of when I was kayaking in it and we thought we might die that day. I was like, this is not a day where I want to die. I do not feel like dying today. Thank you. So. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but it is definitely a place when when I thought I was in physical danger or very close to it, I did speak to whoever was listening or whatever was listening. I was just like, no, thank you. If you're uh-huh. listening. Not, not right now. Yeah. Please. <laughs> 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 so I feel like there, we do, as uh, a species, have a sense of something that's greater than us. It's not necessarily how we worship, or I mean, we can say that we are agnostic or atheist or religious. You know, you know, choose between any of these points and whatever's in between. At the same time, I feel like when we do feel like ourselves are in danger, we do grasp for something bigger and just and you know just send a quote unquote hail mary just in case. Just in case, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to cover all your bases. Yeah, yeah, because we don't know. The fact is, I think at those moments, we realize we really don't know. Our knowledge is so limited, so finite. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> One final image I'm getting but I don't think this is a question. It's just sort of like my, just I, I'm just in love with the imagery and this poem um, and just have a lot of things to say about mm. it. But um, I'm seeing an albatross, like the snake eating itself, like the life death, life stuff um, cycle. Oh. Um, just with the lay of the water. That's so it. funny that you said that because I only have two poems where the word snake actually appears and the other one was talking about a snake eating itself but I I decided to choose this one because both my poem and your poem use the idea of an emerald green snake Um, and I just think first of all seeing green green snakes emerald color snakes are gorgeous They're, they're just gorgeous and similar to you I like snakes I think they're incredibly misunderstood they get a very bad rap because of again it's like how humans perceive other animals right this utter misunderstanding whereas honestly most snakes only attack us if we somehow tread into their territory and we accidentally scare them and that's usually how snake attacks happen and unless you're a small child running into a huge python most likely you're not going to run the risk of being its prey. So I always like the idea of snakes. I mean, the way that they move, there is something mysterious about them because they're cold-blooded creatures. Not Again, not in a bad way, but they tend to be slow for the most part. And they tend to meander. You know, they don't necessarily travel in a straight line. And I find the snakes very appealing, again, because I'm also a very slow-moving kind of person. <laughs> so there is that sense of identity and, again, this misunderstanding. And I also feel like, for me, I am misunderstood a lot. For a long time, I had no clue, and I was trying to figure myself out, just like in your poem you were trying to understand how maybe your mother's worries about you 
how that translates to how you kind of interact with your own sense of self. So, I mean, even though in my poem, that's not, it's not a more personal poem like yours. But I feel like I really like snakes as an image. And I don't want to use it in a negative sense. And I like to, in my writing, use imagery that people are familiar with, but break or try to break people's association or traditional associations with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even as you're saying that, like I keep reading the, the first few lines because I feel like I don't know, the first few lines of this poem feel very representative of both that sort of breaking down something that may be, I guess, a, a natural phenomenon and into something that feels very personal. Because even in the way that you are describing it, I can feel how, I guess, how small you feel. You know, I can feel your wonder. Mm. Um, and also, I just loving how interchangeable you can use serpentine in the first few lines. Because like you can say, in the land of the emerald snake, we watch the water serpentine. You could say, we watch the water serpentine as in the color of serpentine stone. It's green, it's mm. speckled, it's bluish, right? Mm. You could say, watch the water serpentine as in it literally turned into a snake-like image, right? Mm-hmm. Like that serpentine figure. And then also serpentine as in um, laying, like to lay prostrate in, in service to, or in prayer. You know, you mm. can you can be... You can, you know, I don't know. I was just thinking of so many different ways that you can see um, serpentine as in like this water conforming, contorting to the land and also how how the writer or the reader could also see themselves as implicated in that largeness. Yeah, yeah. It was incredibly awe-inspiring and you definitely feel tiny in comparison to this beautiful thing that if you only see it, through Googling images, somehow it seems manageable. But when you're there, you're just like, oh my God, it's an overwhelming sensation in some ways. You're just taken over by the beauty of it all, of how, and you're just wondering, how do I, I think, I I don't know if it's consciously done, but there is a sense of how do I digest this? How do I process it? it you're, you're almost like having a brain meltdown <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> it's like it's so much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely understand that. Yeah, and from a sense, sensory perspective, both from looking at the natural phenomena and also kind of absorbing the energies from all the people that are visiting because it's a very touristed spot. There were a lot of people, so, and you know, people even figure into this poem, like how they interact with it. And this, um, I realized while reading it, how my I'm judging them in some ways because I'm like, your only interaction is to snap pictures, and that's it. You're not using your eyes to observe this. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to take pictures. But and I, I think people are trying to balance the two, right? There are people who visit these beautiful, awesome sites and they take picture and they're like, you know, been there, done that, goodbye kind of thing. And there are some people who 
don't take pictures at all and they just let their raw sensory interact with the landscape directly and they're just sitting there and they're sitting sometimes precariously close to the edge and there there have been people who unfortunately died I, I think it was not too long after we visited some a young woman young girl died from falling down the cliffs because they were trying to take a selfie oh my god yeah, and, and it happens once in a while in these natural landscapes. There's no ropes around it. There, there's an obs- observation area that I don't remember if it's entirely built up yet, but you are interacting with something that's so amazing that jars your brain so much that people can make these very dangerous decisions because they're trying uh-huh. to capture this beauty in their own way. So it's it's really a very fascinating place and in its awesomeness it has a spiritual quality to it and I can certainly understand why people are drawn to it in, in that sense as well. Wow. Now, I feel like that, even just knowing that aspect of it, like the drama of its beauty and the, the compelling aspect of its beauty is both enlightening and, and can enrich you and also can bring you to a demise, right? And it's all about, I don't know, there's such a lesson in the medicine even in that aspect of it and maybe even in that Obatross sort of shape, like the life-death, life-set cycle of the natural beauty of things, mm-hmm. of, just, of just life itself, mm-hmm. that natural Yeah, I mean, if we weren't in modern times, the fact is this woman or girl her body would have just stayed there and she would have become part of the land eventually. And um, from a philosophical observational point of view, you can accept that as part of the sort of the duality of something beautiful, that it can be dangerous as well, just like the snake, uh, the river that looks so beautiful from far. But when you get close to it, you realize you could die in this place and you wonder how many people mm-hmm. have died in this place mm. you know trying to navigate through this landscape it's a very philosophical term in some ways and i guess that's that's a good place for us uh, to conclude this conversation as well um, which I, I really thoroughly enjoyed so before i let you go i would love for you to tell us a little bit about, you know, if you have any recommendations in terms of virtual poetry events and also how people can follow you online. Oh, absolutely. So uh, you can follow me on Epiphany at Instagram. So that's at E-P-I-P-H-A-U-N-Y-E. And actually, I am going to be starting a new series where I'm uh, uploading poetry every week. So I do poetry and crystal videos and also will be hosting spirit mics on Clubhouse, which are intentional led sharing sessions. You can share poetry, music, insight, aspirations, dreams that you have, and affirmations um, to help rise the vibration. Cool. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciated us having our talk discussing our poems today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really enriching. And honestly, I miss I miss sharing poems with other poets and, 
and just they're just geeking out over <laughs> over words and phrases and yeah all of this information so thanks for having me of course of course as always you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on instagram and twitter under poets and muses you can also subscribe to our newsletter at poetsandmuses.com in addition to the poets and muses website and soundcloud page you can also listen to the poets and muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms i'm your host imogen arate thank you very much for listening i hope you have a safe and healthy week And I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.